Chapter 2, we're going to read in chapter 20, uh, verse 20 in just a moment. But I do appreciate everyone coming out on Anzac uh, Sunday here. And so I want to preach along these lines here this morning, believing God to help us. Amen. In 1919, Edward George Honey, who's actually a Melbourne journalist that lives in London, he actually there wrote to the London Evening News and appealed for a five-minute silence to honour the sacrifice of those soldiers that gave their lives for the war. This made its way to King George V. And on the 6th of November 1919, the king sent a special message out to the people of the Commonwealth to suspend all locomotives, to suspend all activities, so that in complete perfect silence, that the thoughts of every single person could be concentrated towards the fallen soldiers that gave their lives for our freedom. Over the years, those five minutes turned into two minutes, now it's turned into one minute. But today, it has been incorporated into the Anzac Day uh, Memorial, where we commemorate 60,000 Australian soldiers and New Zealand soldiers that actually gave their lives during the First World War. Today, RSLs, if uh, you ever go and eat uh, all you can eat there, in Marconi or somewhere else, you realize if you're in there at a certain time here, they actually observe this, a minute silence, and this ritual has continued on through the RSLs, which is the Return Service League, that they would stand in silence remembering those lives that were sacrificed for the freedom of our country. See, I began to think about the significance of silence. And in contrast to the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives uh, through the busyness of uh, our families and our work, and what's true for the RSL putting in as a ritual to stand in the minute silence, uh, listen, it is true for the church uh, with our relationship with God. That silence is a practice of focus and attentiveness, and it can either here in general life be something that is helpful or something that is haunting, depending on what you focus on. And so I want to preach a sermon this morning that I've entitled, The Significance of Silence. Amen. I'm going to read one verse, and then we're going to drill into context of Habakkuk's story. So one verse here, starting in verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Amen. Let's first begin here with white noise. Right in uh, the, our text here in the book of Hab- Habakkuk, it is actually here a prophecy that was actually in a time of injustice and idolatry. Right? There was a lot happening in the background in his time. And here, unlike other prophecies uh, and uh, books there in the Bible, so Habakkuk is a minor prophet, but a prophet here, for those that don't know, is someone that speaks on the behalf of God. Right, but what separates his prophecies, because other prophecies, is that God speaks to, a pro- to the people through a prophet. But when you read Habakkuk, here, Habakkuk speaks directly to God, and we get a glimpse of this relationship he has with God and God with his prophet. And through, we see this through his prayers, we see this through his prophecy, and we begin to see it through his praise. And before the end of the prophecy, which is in there, uh, the five woes, if you read in chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, 
Habakkuk describes the significance of coming before God in silence, in the NIV version. The Bible says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Now, being silent this morning is a position of respect and reverence. Right? It's something, it's to respect and have reverence to something that is important, something that is sacred. And in our text, is that being respectful in the presence of Almighty God. In other words, it is to be in the same frequency and in tune with God. Right? The challenge here is silencing out the background noise. Tinnitus is actually commonly as, known as the ringing, of, uh, ringing in the ears. And so, uh, you know, uh, it, it is the high-pitched sound, the sound that, that rings in your ear when, when nothing's going on, right? If you were in a, a, a recording studio, nothing's going on, all right? All the decibels are on zero. I mean, you know that uh, this begins, Tinnitus is actually describes that ringing in the ears, right? Which is fairly very interesting when I began to look, look at it, but this man begins to describe it as a, a, and liken it to phantom pain. We know what phantom pain is, right? It's a, it's a pain that people feel that actually is not there. It's made up in their mind, right, because of something they've experienced. So new, neuroscientists actually discover that the mind generates this sound, the ringing in the ears, to actually compensate the silence. That our brains have this capacity to begin to make these noises, the fact is that actually people suffer and can actually suffer from tinnitus. And uh, that they suffer from complete silence. So I don't, that, that's, that's probably a battle for many. Uh, that if that, 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 you know, you think about that for a moment, that's, uh, that's a challenge. But the challenge here, and I want to get to you, is that the, the challenge to complete silence is the distractions of our minds. There are things that we can meditate on, the things that we begin to think about, begin to, you know, become this background noise in our lives. In 1962 was the first actually white noise machine that was actually produced. And what it does, it begins to produce these frequencies, uh, various frequencies that actually here help people with tinnitus. What it does, it begins to cancel out these, uh, these noises that are in the brain. Right? Some parents actually use this uh, on infants to actually distract them from house noise and put them to sleep. When I began to think about this, here in our text, Habakkuk is suffering and is in pain and torment by the state of Israel's southern kingdom. He's looking at all that is going on there and he begins to lament over the kingdom. And in this time of dark spiritual depression and rebellion, the ringing in his ears, he begins to answer, the answer he begins to present in our text is that we must come before God in silence, in respectful solitude and complete silence before God. And the truth is this morning is that the noise that we desire relief from many times is not external, but it's internal. And Paul goes on, if you read here in Thessalonians, he speaks about the silent discipline that we all actually have to pursue as children of God. If you want to be a student of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must understand that we have to come before God in a respectful reverence and silence. We live our lives in peaceful, uh, quiet living. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as... 
we were instructed you before. So this is a spiritual discipline, being silent before God. Because I mean, you know, sometimes we just pray, we pray, we pray, and we say, in the name of Jesus, and we leave. <laughs> we don't give any time to hear, hear God. We don't sit there in, in meditation before God. We say what we want to say, and then we're out of there. But our lives consist of this spiritual discipline of silence, which is actually modeled in Christ himself. Jesus began his ministry in 40 years of in silence in the desert, right? While fasting there, you'll find that in Matthew 4 too. But when he heard John the Baptist hear that he died there, and the Bible says that he withdrew himself to a quiet place, right? After the 5,000 uh, that uh, got fed, uh, you know, he, he didn't stay around uh, signing autographs. Uh, he actually, he withdrew into silence. He withdrew there and he spent time with God, See, the challenge and the danger is that if we, without rather intentional uh, drawing away, an intentional time set aside with God in silence, what begins to happen is that we can begin to think and we can begin to forget about God. We, we can begin to forget about the things that God has done. See, this is the danger this morning. This is the danger and the significance of why, really, we celebrate Anzac Day. Why is that we are reminded lest we forget, right? We stand in that complete silence to remember those that have given their lives for our freedom. See, but the challenge of time is that our lives get cluttered with the noise of the world. We get so busy running to and fro with work and, and jobs, uh, you know, and family and children uh, that we forget we no longer know how to come before God in, so, in, in complete silence. See, just like the whole aim of that minute silence in, in this time is that we must remember lest we forget. So let's secondly consider here the rest of our focus. Because who you're looking for this morning will impact who you're living for. See, I know many times people come to church and they're coming, I'm, not, I'm not, sometimes not sure what they're coming for, <laughs> right? They, they come, they're not saved, they, you know, they, they don't live for God, but they're coming looking for something. Does that mean you know when we're born, the whole human race is looking for significance. We're looking for something more that goes beyond ourselves, that goes beyond our family, that goes beyond our job and retirement fund. That people are looking for something more. See, Habakkuk here in his heart was actually focused on the bigger picture. And the fact here is that he, that the definition yet of his name means to actually embrace. Right? He's, Habakkuk actually means to embrace or cling to. In other words, to wrestle. And so Habakkuk here is a man that actually clung to God. He wrestled with God for answers, even though he, when he didn't like the answers that he got. And even through there, that many times he did not understand what God was doing, in times that he didn't agree to what God was doing, he clung to God. And this gives us a description of how, how our lives are like, that we wrestle through issues but we must learn also to cling to God, to embrace Him, and wrestle our thoughts and issues through with God. So let's consider this morning some distracting factors towards silence before God. Because this book in 
And it gives us very, much insights to actually this prophet's personal struggle. And we can relate to this prophet that he struggled and wrestled through the state of uh, Judah at that time and then wrestled through some things. But let's, let's, let's have a look here at three things. Number one is the incorrect judgment or an inaccurate judgment of who God is. In chapter one, we see Habakkuk here complaining. And it's not just any complaint, it's a complaining prayer. Right? We, re- we read his prayer, and actually it's in a complaint before God. In New Living Translation, in uh, Habakkuk 1-2, it says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. How many times do we come before God saying that exact same prayer? That we wonder, God, where are you? You don't you see what's going on. Like we come before God praying like, God, you don't know what you're doing. It's an incorrect view on God because here Habakkuk begins to complain, God, you're not doing enough. Why do the bad suffer? Here, here, here we are. Here it is. They're, 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 they're in this state and he's beginning to, to wrestle this through with God and God answers. He says, you know what? The, the bad will suffer. You're right? Them doing wrong, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to overtake them. They're going to get their judgment. And then Habakkuk's like, oh, well, no, no, that's not what he's expecting. And he's beginning to say, you know, Babylon is even worse. And he's going to use bad people to, to conquer bad people. He's like, he's, he's wrestling this through. And he says to God now, he's like, he's not doing too much. You know, sometimes when we ask God to do some stuff, he answers like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's not what we wanted. It's like we're never satisfied. But the truth is we can be like this. We can ask God for help, but then we don't like the answers that he gives us. We ask God for help, but yet he answers in a way that he wants the answer, but, you know, we, we, we don't like it. Every now and then I get people come to church and they want, they want to step in ministry. They want to do something for God in the house of God. And so I'm like, you know what? Yeah, no worries. Always, you were just one guy in particular came. I said, why don't you join the cleaning team? Right, but he was, it wasn't his, 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 he wasn't expecting that. But he's coming to the pastor, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a great musician. Uh, he started giving, listing off his resume. I'm like, you know, that, that would be such, in my mind, it's such be, that would be such a blessing in the house of God. Right, but so then I knowingly say, hey, why don't you, why don't you, clean, why don't you start cleaning up? Just, 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 just uh, you know, uh, sign yourself up to the cleaning team. The, the, you know, start from the bottom. He just didn't, like, his look was like, <laughs> right? And he never came back, <laughs> which disqualifies him, right? Because how I many you know, when you come to church, that you're in ministry, you serve. The whole purpose of being a leader is that you serve. And you can't serve in the backgrounds. Listen, you're not going to be good serving up here. And that is the problem. Is the wrong view on how God operates. See, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, but he came to serve. And this is the challenge for many people. That we can be and have a different view and a wrong view on who God is. Number two is an internal dialogue. One man says, don't be a victim of uh, negative self-talk. Remember, you are always listening. 
And this is something that uh, we must take note on because this is a lot of times a distraction and a barrier of people getting closer to God. Because rather hearing the voice of truth, they're listening to their own voice. That is very negative. The internal voice will often convince you away from God and having silent time with God. He often says, you know what, you, you don't have to, you've got plenty of time. <laughs> or he says, you know, you've got plenty of time, but yet you never get around to it. Or he says, you've got no time. And this is why meditating yet again on God and placing our thoughts in prayer towards God is so powerful. Right? We silence the inner critic, and that's what many of us here need to do. You need to quiet that voice that goes on inside of your head. In 2 uh, Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Right here, God's saying that, that in your mind, these thoughts, you need to learn how to captive, take them captive and, and take them and bring them under the obedience of God. Because not every thought that you think is a good thought. And sometimes things come in your mind and you begin to entertain them and you find yourself down a spiral of depression. You begin to entertain these thoughts that are negative to you. Listen, and you begin to believe them and they physically begin to manifest in your body. Right, this is a reality. One man says that here, he says, your body hears everything your mind says. And this, this is so true because it plays out physically in your body. You think negative all the time, then this plays out in depression. If you're always negative on certain things, this plays out. Listen, this is not my opinion. This is the word of God. It plays out in your physical body. I say that to say, be kind to yourself. Be nice to yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. You're so critical upon yourself. Every little mistake you make, you make it, make it out to be so big, so large. And it draws you away from God. You know what? I'm just not worthy. And this is a challenge in people's minds. And it's another distracting factor in you coming before God and spending time, quality time with God. Other being filled with all the negativity in your mind about yourself. Number three is your increasing to-do list. <laughs> I mean, oh, life gets busy. And uh, we continue to, you know, pack on to our list. Do you ever feel that there's not enough time in the day? Do you ever feel that you never get on top of things? That once you finish one thing, another thing pops up? Can I just say, uh, join the club? <laughs> If you don't feel like that, then find a job. <laughs> but we all have increasing responsibilities in life, right? Which wrestles with our focus, right? I mean, oh, there's a, that, uh, that there's multitasking is a fallacy. You, can, you can't multitask. You can only do one thing good. You can actually do numbers of things, but listen, you, you, you're not going to be effective in any of those arenas, your focus must be towards one thing and do it, complete it before you move on to the next. And sometimes what 
struggles that we wrestle spending time with God is because we have this to-do list. I need to get this done. I need to get that done. I to, and I don't have time. And we push that aside. We don't spend any silent time. There's a winner of All City Handball. I used this illustration before, but he highlights a, a, a point here. But the winner of All City Handball uh, Championship in Portland was actually unusual this time around because he, the winner was actually overage. He was actually 37. But he only played for two years. And he entered this competition. And what was actually more unusual about the situation is that he, not only being old and, uh, and uh, you know, and actually being a Vietnam vet, he's actually had no right arm. And he had to play handball with only one hand. And when he was actually asked when he, got, when he won, he used one word. He says, decisions. He says, others must decide which hand to use, left or right. But when it comes to me, there is no debate. <laughs> I'm focused. And that's the reality many times for us here, is that we, 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 we falter between two opinions. See, the devil here wants to take your focus away, your time with God, and he wants to put it on something else. And you've got to know that here, why, does it, why is it so hard when you spend time with God? Why is it so hard to spend you know, 10 minutes and, and half an hour before God, an hour before God? You know, when you first get saved, you know, you pray for three minutes, you, you, you're winning, you're kicking goals. But you've seen other Christians here that they're praying for an hour. And you're inspired by that. And you're thinking, how do I get to that point? But I remember when I first got saved, I could pray for about five minutes and I sat there and I'm thinking, how do they do it? How can they pray for 40 minutes nonstop? Right? Have you ever thought that? And I begin to think about that. And that's their relationship with God. They are focused. They put all things aside. You know what? I'm going to come into the presence of God. This is the blessing and the discipline of morning prayer. You know what? Morning prayer gets rid of all distractions. And although I can pray at home, and I still do pray at home, and come to morning prayer, I come to prayer, I don't have the kids running around. <laughs> I don't have to think about, I have to get changed, I've got to do this, I've got to make lunch, I've got to water. Not that I do those things, that's you. But I'm thinking about all these things that I need to do, and I get distracted away from my time from God. This is why I come to morning prayer. I come, I sit, and I begin to think, and that's all. I'm spending time with God. No, no distractions or anything else. Uh, there, I've uh, allocated that, that 45, uh, an hour for God uh, in that time. And that's a discipline that we all must begin to aspire to. Right? We have prayer before service every Sunday. An hour prayer, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Right? That, that's, that's, that's the process. That, you know, with that, besides that, there's morning prayer throughout the whole week. And I often say to those that want to be disciples, if you haven't got a job, be in prayer. Amen. Your job is to find a job. And the best way to start is in the presence of God. And listen, this will do miracles and, and, and wonders in your relationship. Sometimes we struggle to get on top of that list. The challenge is to drown out that white noise, the background noise. 
Because who you're looking for this morning will impact who you're living for. So if you're not saved here this morning, your focus needs to be towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the church, not the social gathering that's here. Amen. But to God. Can I ask you a question this morning? If it wasn't for the person that brought you to church, would you still come to church? Just a thought. Well, let me put it this way. If the person that won you to God backslides, would you still be in church? Amen. Let's close this morning with the wonder of silence. There is an eloquence that lives not in the words, but in silence. Right? There is an appeal of the heart and the language of a soul when we come before God in silence. See, silence is an attitude of, again, listening and focus and attention. When you spend some time in complete silence before God, you'll be shocked and maybe sometimes impressed with where your mind takes you. Can I say more importantly, where the Spirit of God guides you? Right? Because we can come into prayer and sometimes we always feel like we have to say something. You ever met people like that in conversation, always feel like they fill in the empty space? <laughs> and you still don't go like that. But listen, when we come before God, we don't have to always be shanda lab handa habibis, right? We can come before God in complete silence. We have to have to always feel like we have to say something. Right? We can come before God in, in the silence of our heart. In our mind, God begins to guide and direct us. And this is the significance of silence. When you come to a place that you are able to be open enough in order for God to guide your thoughts, to guide your spirit, to help you to begin to pray the things that you ought to be praying, that you need to be praying. And this is why we speak in tongues. Right? That's not to sound spiritual or, or anything like that. It's actually there, a spiritual language that we speak to God about, uh, through. And I will encourage you, if you not feel the Holy Ghost, it ought to be your desire to have that language, to speak to God on that frequency, right? Because this is where you begin to draw what you need in order to overcome the battles that you face in life. See, when we come before God in silence, it is a position of ourselves before a holy God. And we come in that reverence and respect towards something that is so sacred we honor God in that position. God begins to speak to us. God helps us. But if we always come, and look, and, and I'm going to be aware of saying this because then I don't want the prayer room tonight to be complete silence. <laughs> I say this carefully because we need people praying. Disciples need to hear disciples praying, Right? What I'm saying is towards the end of your prayer, rather all rattle off your, all your, your prayer list and in Jesus' name and leave, spend some quiet, silent time with God. And this is a challenge for us all here this morning. How is your silent time with God? 
Are you so busy in life and all the background noise that all you're really, you're not even focused in at all? You don't, your prayer life is, is non-existent. Where is it? Because the challenge this morning is that if you don't pray, it's, it's very hard to say you're a Christian or not. Because how many of you know we have that word, we have that saying, it's about a relationship, not about religion, it's about a relationship. What kind of relationship do you have if you don't speak to the person? Amen? So the challenge for you and I is to come before God in that silence. G.C. Harris says, silence is the attitude of listening and attention. What is necessary in God's house in silent reverence, in the silence of thought, in the silence of humility, in the silence of reverence, in the silence of deep feelings, in the silence of earnest determination, we prepare an offering of prayer and praise, which wells forth from the noisy utterance of our lips, without influence and without expression, but a deep, a strong, deep flood from the heart itself, which flows and will flow on and on forever, which has God for its object. Our own deepest interests for its subject, our whole life is channeled and eternity is for this end. Here is his comment towards Habakkuk's uh, uh, verse here, talking about becoming silent before God. You know, we all need to be able to practice things and come before God in that silence. Amen. Three takeaways we're going to go and close and pray. Number one is that you must turn to God, know that He's the answer for all. You know, don't turn to your drink, don't turn to your drugs, don't turn to your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Turn to God because He's the answer. Not your husband, not your wife, they're not the answer. Can you say amen? <laughs> your, the answer is God. And you have to turn to God. You must learn to turn to God who is your deliverer, who is your provider, who is the one that is able to change your circumstance. Don't turn to anyone else. Turn to God. Because again, I'm going to say it to you, it's drilled into your mind, because who you're looking for is, determines who you're going to uh, live for. Secondly, we must allow the majesty of God to echo through the hallways of our mind. You must intentionally think about God. Right? I do this every single morning where we wake up and press snooze. I know I'm conscious. Right? Without... This, rather decide and wrestle through whether I'm going to get up, what time I'm going to get up, oh, I need some more sleep. Rather be in that space, I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about how God is so awesome that I'm able to breathe again another day. I thank God for my wife that is lying next to me snoring. I thank God for my children. I thank God for absolutely everything. I'm thankful and grateful. And when I fill my mind with those thoughts, listen, I get the energy to get up, right? Because I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, that all that God gives, and, and I say, you know what? You need to get up to prayer now, to pray. Because I ask God, help me be a good husband. Help me be a good father. Help me be a good brother, a good pastor. And those things motivate me to get up and come to prayer. Right? I've had seasons. You know, we all have seasons. We're wrestling in through. Right? 
But God says, don't let your freedom, don't, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for, for sin and laziness and carnality. Right? Tomorrow is a public holiday. Right? And it's Anzac Day and we get up. I get up for a dawn service every year. Right? Four, five in the morning, I'm getting up, getting changed, and we're going down to the diggers and we're going to be there and uh, honor those lives that were laid down for our freedom. I did this in Liverpool. A whole bunch of Habibis and um, Justin and, and uh, all these, these rat bags. All right? They're, they're sleeping in public holidays. They don't even know what time it is. They don't know what day it is. But I get them up in the morning. <laughs> we go down to diggers and there they are. In the hoodies, the Air Maxes, you know, the Gucci bags. Everyone's like, oh, these guys are going to rob us. No, no, no. We're here to honor those who have fallen. We're from the Potter's House Christian Church, and this is what we do. We teach men how to be grateful. Amen? Get up early, honor God, but this must be a focus that you have within your mind. Right? And then, is the truth is that gratitude blossoms. When you're grateful for something, that comes out of you. Thirdly, is that we must keep the main thing the main thing. You know, we can get through the clutter of life. Life gets busy, I understand that. Uh, we must know who is the life giver. And that is Christ Jesus. He came and gave us life. Right? It's only right that we give that back to him. Can you say amen? amen. Let's bow our heads this morning.